Tech nerds, this one's for you. On today's episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, we are diving into science fiction technologies that we wished existed in the real world. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome back to another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, the only podcast that gets nerdier than nerdy and geekier than geeky. This is Dave. I'm here with my buddy Chris. And in today's episode, we're diving into science fiction technology that we wished existed in the real world. But first, it's time as always for... Now, Chris, your nerd news item is music to my ears. Yeah, so one of the primary takeaways from the blockbuster success of Spider-Man No Way Home has been webheads and fans at large taking a second look at Andrew Garfield's take on the character. This, combined with the Oscar buzz for his portrayal of playwright Jonathan Larson in in Netflix's Tick, Tick, Boom, has the Tony Award winner once more at the forefront of the pop culture scene. In a fascinating in-depth interview with Variety, which I highly recommend our listeners check out, Garfield gave a masterful behind-the-scenes look at not just the entire process of placing three Peter Parkers on screen together simultaneously, but also what the future may hold. When asked about his openness toward returning to the role, Garfield said, quote, I mean, yes, definitely open to something if it felt right. Peter and Spider-Man, those characters are all about service to the greater good and the many. He's a working class boy from Queens that knows struggle and loss and is deeply uh, empathetic. I would try to borrow Peter Parker's ethical framework in that. If there was an opportunity to step back in and tell more of that story, I would have to feel very sure and certain in myself, end quote. In addition, there are some rumblings about the interest of making an amazing Spider-Man 3 or including Garfield as the Spider-Man to Tom Hardy's Venom. Dave, we've both been riding shotgun on the Garfield bandwagon for quite some time, and it's kind of hard not to say I told you so. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Uh, I'm a big fan of Andrew Garfield's portrayal of of Peter Parker Spider-Man. I found his Peter to be probably um, the best modern-day take on the original Peter Parker character, you know, adjusting, of course, for, you know, how, how times have changed and stuff. I think he, he kind of exemplifies a lot of the things that I always appreciated about Peter Parker most. And not to say that, you know, Tobey Maguire wasn't good in his own way or that Tom Holland isn't good in his own way. But, you know, Tom Holland, his portrayal always had sort of that wide-eyed innocence going on. And to me, the the much more smart alecky uh diving headfirst into things approach that Andrew Garfield's uh, version of Peter Parker had is much more um essential to the character so although uh his portrayal was great i think it's fair to say he was in a couple of subpar movies although i i ride for the first amazing spider-man movie i think there was there was enough there that was you know quality to enjoy um the second one eh, that that that's another story um, would I like to see an Amazing Spider-Man three? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. Um, I think that if they're going to 
make another movie with him as Spider-Man, it's going to have to take a very different shape. I don't think you could make a numbered sequel there. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't want a movie with him. It's just going to have to take a significantly different shape. We're talking about a character that's now significantly older, uh, is many years removed from you know uh, Gwen Stacy's death. I think making it a numbered sequel would be a mistake in a lot of ways. Um, and and I think story-wise, it has to take a different approach. I think it would be very smart to perhaps take some cues off of um, something like Straczynski's run where he's older, you know, he's, he's settled into like a teaching job, more of a mentoring role. I mean, everybody always talks about that scene in Amazing Spider-Man 2 where he, you know, he he's uh, interacting with that bullied kid. I think there's a lot of gold to be mined from that. And we can kind of make a movie maybe of him, you know, after no way home sort of coming out of that darkness he was talking about where he's not been not been pulling his punches and he's been in a bad place and maybe he meets his mj um i think there's a movie there absolutely i don't think a numbered sequel would be smart i think it would have to be marketed very differently um but yeah, I want it. What I don't want is I don't want him in, in Venom. I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest. I, I think the Venom movies are an absolute dumpster fire. And I know, you know, there are people who, who are fans. But to me, uh, I, I think Andrew Garfield deserves to portray Spider-Man in another good movie since he's been in two subpar movies and including him in any kind of Venom 3 or something would be including him in another subpar superhero movie and i have no interest in seeing that the, the man deserves a quality script uh, a solid director who can really put a, a cool vision of an older peter parker up on the screen uh so so another spider-man movie with andrew garfield yes him and venom no thanks <laughs> yeah um and this is i've kept this no secret um symbiotes have never been my cup of tea i've never i mean uh, it is never, even comics-wise, it's never been appealing to me. I, I always appreciate, like, the friendly neighborhood aspects, the uh, the street-level superhero antics of Spider-Man, and anytime you introduce, introduce symbiotes, you lose me narratively. Um, and that's even at their best. Uh, I'm, some of the early stuff with Michelinie and McFarlane is okay, and I'll, I'll, I'll it's fine, but it's just never been my thing. Um yeah, and and one of the if you read the article, one of the, the 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 most beautiful things about it is something that came very true on screen is they approached it as like three brothers, and we talked about this in our review is like the older brother of Toby, the middle brother, and then you know Tom's the younger brother, and and just something something like that, like different stages of life, and and we talked about also Jason Aaron's Thor, while uh, you have like three different stages of their life and their existence, and I think that would be something interesting to tackle because my personal favorite stories of Spider Man outside of Ultimate, you know, if you're if you want teenage Spider Man, go to Ultimate for for me, but if you want something beyond that, go to JMS or or you know some of those adult you know, aspect of life that's beyond just a graduate assistant. So I would be very, very interested for that. And um, I'm not, I'm not a Venom person either. I will, I will also say that I would not be opposed, although I don't know if, if Toby is open to that, but I would not be opposed uh, to just have a movie that picks up right at the end of, of No Way Home. And you have uh, Peter and Andrew, uh, um, 
you have Toby and Andrew's Spider-Man still together, dropped off like together in the wrong universe, and they're like trying to find their way home or something, like Spider-Man Quantum Leap or something. Hey, you could even spot, you know call it Spider-Man, yeah. and, and they're just you know just two two versions of Spider-Man desperately trying to find their way home and going through like different different multiverses versions of like different villains and stuff. I think there's some fun to be had with something like that, um, and that would give both of those. Uh, actors another chance to play spider-man because they were both very very good in no way home yeah for sure all right dave you are headed to one of the most competitive games that i've ever experienced oh i remember man when the first one of these came out on the super nintendo and what a revelation it already was but then ah man the evolution from uh, super nintendo the n64 i still play the N64 version of this game. Um, I'm talking, of course, about Mario Kart. Um, and there is a little bit of uh, sort of rumbling right now going on about a new Mario Kart being on the way. Um, Sergan Toto, who is an analyst with Canton Games, is speculating right now uh, that Mario Kart 9 is an active development and will come with a new twist. Uh, and he shared this comment as part of an article on uh, 2022 gaming predictions for GameIndustry.biz. Now, it, it probably bears remembering where the whole Mario Kart situation is standing right now. The last uh, Mario Kart game that was released was released in 2014 for the Wii U. That's Mario Kart 8. And then when the Switch was released, it was updated with additional content and re-released for the Switch as Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Um, but since then, besides a mobile game, which was launched in 2019, it's been pretty quiet on the Mario Kart front, which means that we have now, uh, we're, we're going on eight years of not having a, a brand new Mario Kart game. And so I think this speculation is probably fair. I think we're in you know, the right time now for a new Mario Kart, maybe a little more custom made for the Switch uh, to be released. If so, I'm really looking forward to it. I've pretty much played every Mario Kart game besides the mobile game. I'm just not a big mobile gamer, to be honest with you. Um, and, and I love this series, and I always have a really good time with it. So speculation right now looks like we might be getting a new one. I think that's probably a fair bet, considering how long it's been since we've gotten a brand new Mario Kart game. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, this sounds like something that Nintendo, as we've chronicled before on the show, is is primed to do. Like, they milk out as much as they can on an, an exclusive game like this, and then they give you a new one, but they make you wait as long as possible. So I, I'm i very excited about Mario Kart 9. You know, my experience, you know, coming to the Switch late, I never had a Wii U, but like playing Mario Kart 8 on the Switch was a new experience to me, but um, I'm super excited. Uh, Mario Kart is one of the most contentious and competitive things in my household and 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 was growing up as well. Yeah, I, I could totally agree with that. It is, it's still pretty competitive when my wife and I sit down and play Mario Kart. Uh, feathers will fly, so to speak. Um, but, you know, the other thing too is I did have a Wii U. And, you know, a lot of people talk about this being like failed hardware, not very um, successful, blah, blah, blah. I, I actually kind of like the Wii U. It's in a lot of ways sort of a proto Switch, you know, with that gamepad. And there are still a couple of things that were released on Switch that I think really need to be, I mean, on Wii U that really need to be ported over to the Switch, particularly uh, the HD um, Zelda remasters of Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. I think uh, it's high time that, you know, they finish 
porting over their Wii U library for, you know, the Switch. But, you know, I thought the anniversary of Zelda would be the time to do it, but apparently not. We're still waiting. All right, well, that's it for Nerd News. Stick around after this, our first break. We're going to come at you with science fiction technologies we wish were real. Stick around. And welcome back. So today's uh, exciting topic uh, is going to be all about science fiction technologies. And this is, of course, part of our very, very popular segment. So this topic today comes to you courtesy of Chris, who who texted me and was like, dude, uh, I need a back to tank. And uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I can see that. And he was like, we need to talk about some sci-fi technologies. And I think this is a great, great topic to talk about. So we each picked uh, three technologies from uh, various franchises. Uh, we kind of just are all over the place, comic books, movies, novels, whatever, and just picked some technologies that we uh, wish to exist in the real world because we would have some utility for them, I guess. Uh, Chris, Let's go ahead and start it out with you. Uh, tell me about your need for the back to tank. I want to hear about this. Okay, so uh, the book of Boba Fett has been enjoyable so far. I haven't nerd commended it yet because it's a little bit slow moving. I'm waiting to see where they go with this series. But my biggest takeaway is, God, I need a back to tank. Like, just imagine, and 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 Boba, Tamara Morrison, looks like he's been going through it. Like, he's he's got some skin grafting going on. Looks rough. Just lays there in the back to tank, comes out good as new. And every morning now, uh, I'm waking up with a crick in my neck. My back constantly hurts. I, I threw my back out throwing away trash and shoveling snow within the past two years. I, th- I was throwing a trash bag away and my back popped up. I passed out and I nearly crawled in the bin because apparently my body is now trash. And to the ability, just the idea of having a back to tank where I can just go lay down. It's peaceful and quiet. There's no kids running around. Uh, we just had to take a break from the recording because my, my 60 pound poodle found a dead bird in his mouth. There's no chasing that around. Um, I could just chill and relax and I need some restorative properties. So I need a back to tank stat. Um, just don't make me wear a diaper like Luke did. Oh, don't be so hard on Luke's <laughs> diaper. Come on now. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, so it's a funny story. Uh, I have a huge affinity for the whole back to thing anyways. I am, uh, remember, an adherent of the old expanded universe of uh, Star Wars. And uh, there was a nice little series of books, the X-Wing books, uh, by Michael Stackpole, I believe, uh, that dealt very, very um, in, in great detail with the question of Bacta, where it comes from, how it's manufactured, and, you know, trying to to hold that particular world either on the side of the, you know, uh, New Republic, I believe at the time, uh, or the uh, remnants of the Empire. And so there were some really cool stories there, which I, you know, mini nerd commend uh, the the Star Wars X-Wing books, no matter where they fit in, you know, um, canon these days. I don't care about canon. Uh, they're really, really, they're really, really good time and deal a lot with Bacta. Uh, yeah, I think as we age, Chris, I think we're going to increasingly wish that we could just take a dip in a tank and come out brand new. Um, 
I'm I'm totally uh, into a back to tank as well. I've not watched the Book of Boba Fett yet. It is on my list of things to check out. Um, I'm hearing sort of mixed things about it, so I'm just going to have to make my own opinion. Yeah, it's it's a little bit slow moving. They're doing something different narratively. I enjoy it. It's just not like oh my god yet. Um, Dave, the first thing on your list, what is was going to be on mine, but I let you get dibs as the DC guy. And it's no surprise, no surprise it's your number one pick. Well, I appreciate that you let me uh, call dibs on this one. I'm just a huge, huge fan of uh, Green Lantern power rings. The, you know, most powerful weapon in the universe, as it is sometimes called in DC Comics. I mean, this thing is just incredible. I mean, think about it's only limited by your own willpower. And you can do all sorts of stuff with this. You can fly thanks to this ring. You can project energy. Uh, you can create constructs, uh, different shapes made out of green energy. You can create force fields. Um, there is uh, some... Uh, actually, there's a couple of stories that I seem to recall where there was even um, phasing involved. Um, I think it was a Brave and the Bold story uh, where you can actually use the ring to phase through certain solid objects like walls. Uh, of course, there's, you know, a, a computer component to that, you know, it's a database that you have access to with information about, you know, all sorts of places in the universe. Um, it's just totally awesome. Um, now, I will also say that I think um, if I'm going to have any kind of Green Lantern ring, uh, I would want the ring that Joe Mullane has uh, because I love Far Sector and I love the idea of a ring that is not dependent on an external power battery, but in sense, uh, instead is like self-charging. I think I think that is a really, really uh, a, a cool notion to be independent from some kind of central power battery because you know we've all we've all read a few Green Lantern stories and isn't there always something wrong with with the central power battery first there's an impurity in it then somebody blows it up then they rebuild it then there's something else with it you know so being completely independent from that uh, is really cool. So yeah, man, I'm all about having like a Green Lantern power ring that is is like self-charging so I can fly around, make energy constructs, you know, fly out into space. Uh, make force fields. I mean, there's just all sorts of cool things you can do with this thing. I, I want a Green Lantern ring, Chris. I want it now. So, like, the, it's funny that you say that. And I haven't... All the books are sitting there on my shelf. I haven't read Far Sector yet. And it's one of my greatest shames. But I am eternally grateful for one of your other nerd commendations. Um, and whether that's, you know, a, an official segment or not. But introducing me to Kyle Rayner... Um, was a godsend um, because while I, while like casually I enjoyed the idea of a Green Lantern ring, the only Green Lantern I had been introduced to via pop culture and and just you know common word of mouth was Hal Jordan, and he is all about as exciting as plain grits or oatmeal. Um, he gives he gives me the vibe of uh, wearing a members only jacket and. Uh, Skechers shape-ups with Velcro straps. Like, there's nothing about Hal Jordan that is interesting to me. So Kyle Rayner, uh, just the idea of, like, a lovable doofus with the power ring and, and kind of learning his way on the fly has been a joy to read. But, uh, yeah, I, I would love a Green, a Green Lantern ring myself. And I will say Kyle is one of my favorite Green Lanterns as well. 
I am I'm a big fan of that whole uh, run by Ron Mars. Uh, you're exactly right. Hal is probably not the most relatable of the Green Lanterns. Um, if if I would go through favorites, it would probably be Kyle, uh, then um, Joe, uh, because I love Far Sector so much. And dude, you, you ought to go stand in a corner for not having read that yet. You, <laughs> my you dumb all, cap on. <laughs> you, you. I'm telling you, man. You of all people will absolutely adore this book. It is so perfect, and 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 Joe is such a good character. Like it is, you're you're gonna fall in love with her. Um, and of course, John Stewart, who's an absolute just like powerhouse in in the Justice League cartoon in particular. Um, so yeah, I just Green Lantern for the win, man. I just love this thing. I love the whole concept. You just got to put the ring on an interesting character, right? All right, Chris. So you. Uh, apparently want to chop me up in little tiny pieces and beam me across space. <laughs> well, I there's there are multiple reasons why Nightcrawler has always been my favorite X-Men character. Um, just the, the ability to relate to someone who feels like an outcast based on whatever their physical appearance, their personality, just never quite fitting in and then finding that family. That was just always a beautiful story to me. Not to mention, you know, I have German heritage on my dad's side. So that was always just cool. The swashbuckler, Errol Flynn-ness of it all gave me vibes of Diego de la Vega um, so that was always, but it was also not, not any of that. It was also the power set, the ability to just teleport and travel very quickly. Like now anything like going to the grocery store just seems like such a chore, like to be the ability to teleport, you know? And then, you know, I moved at 14 halfway across the country. And then I was like, you know what, what if I could just teleport and just go visit my family that I haven't seen in years? Like, so that would be cool. So then when I was watching Star Trek Discovery in the third season, and saw not just a transporter, but a portable transporter that you could just have on yourself. And I was like, you know, this would be coming really in handy. And you don't have to rely on, you know, some overworked um, person at the at the transporter station or whatever. Like, uh, Miles, did you get a good signature on them? You could just rely on yourself and your own transporter. So, uh, yeah, I need a portable transporter. Stat. I see. I love this notion. Um, and I really wished um, that that Star Trek once would like take take uh, a technology like that sort of to its natural um, logical next point, which is if you have a portable transporter, you know, and, and you have very little limits on, on your transportation, then um, how, how would you use that in combat? You know, like how fun would that be right. to see is to see, you know, and, and we get a, we got a hint of that with like the uh, the X2 Nightcrawler scene, that like opening, which was so good. Um but I don't think they, they ever really uh, cinematically, visually really nailed, besides maybe that scene, how cool it would be to be able to transport from place to place in a combat situation, like actually fighting somebody. That would be some really cool visuals, man. But, you know, Star Trek doesn't go there. They're like, eh, down to the planet, back up. Eh. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of emphasize with you because um, I, you know, as you know, moved pretty far away, too, having lived in Germany. So the idea of being able to transport back and just, you know, visiting my family anytime I wanted to without having to sit, you know, on an airplane for 11 hours uh, is obviously uh, incredibly appealing. So this is a very, very cool technology. I would totally be about a portable transporter as well. And thanks for the reminder that I've not watched Discovery Season 3 yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've still got to finish it up, but it's so good. It's just like one of those things, like a fine wine. I take in just ever so slowly. 
Also, also to the combat point, Star Trek has never really focused on combat. I mean, you go from something in Star Wars like a lightsaber, like it's it's surprising it didn't make our lists, but you know maybe that was too low hanging fruit token. Um, but then you go to like Star Trek, where it's just like, oh, here's this phaser. It's not really like combat, just like in your face. Maybe a battle. Well, you know, I think in fairness, there are certain moments where you get a little combat heavy, heavy, absolutely the battle. And then, of course, the whole the whole war on, you know, in in Deep Space Nine is like a, a very, very fascinating, you know, foray into having Star Trek go into like, you know, combat. Um, so seeing a situation like that, I think would just be visually interesting. But, you know, that's just me. Staying in the Star Trek universe, you uh, apparently would be a frequenter of uh, Quark's. Yes, yes, a holo suite for me, s'il vous plaît. Uh, as it turns out, uh, I, I think this whole notion is really, really cool. Um, obviously, there's been like some forays that are happening right now with like you know virtual reality and stuff, and uh, the PlayStation Four had a, a supposedly decent virtual reality situation going on. There's the Oculus Rift and all that. There is some interesting uh, stuff happening with VR, but the idea uh, of something where you don't have to you know strap on a uh, a headset and some uh, some joysticks in either hand and then you know roll around the floor in your house like some dodo is you know incredibly appealing this sort of idea of like having hard light constructs and being able to run you know programs with artificial intelligence uh, i think there's a, a lot of fun to be had from diving into your favorite movie or or, or book as the protagonist or even a minor character to reenacting historical uh, events, um, you know, kind of putting in what we know about a historical event and then being there for a, as like an eyewitness to it and kind of bringing history alive, so to speak. You can see that the, the teacher in me is really geeky about the, <laughs> the whole of deck, right? Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm just a very, very big fan of this technology and it is so far out there. I mean, we're nowhere near having something like this. Um, but I would absolutely adore it. And yeah, I know the next generation is like really, really well known for the holodeck stuff. Um, but uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the, the first appearance of the holodeck was actually in the Star Trek animated series featuring Kirk's crew, I want to say. So yeah, uh, point, point for uh, the original crew people. <laughs> uh, they got the holodeck first. Yeah, but I'm a big fan of this technology and I would love to use this even as an educational tool. Um, I, I just think this is the coolest. Yeah, some of the holodeck are the best episodes of The Next Generation, um, which, correct me if I'm wrong, you you haven't really dove into TNG yet, have you? No, it's, you know, I, I think the problem is you know, I'm I'm kind of being a little self-reflective here, but um, I I read like this two-volume oral history of Star Trek that I nerd commended a, a couple of months right. back, and in the creation of um, the Next Generation, Gene Roddenberry, who was very very active in the creation of of that series, was very adamantly opposed to intercrew interpersonal conflict. Um. So to me, oftentimes, many of the characters feel very flat because they relate to others in a very flat way. There are no character arcs. There's no character growth. They don't really learn anything from, you know, episode to episode. And so I think it is 
interesting uh, as a sort of science fiction exercise of like you know take these idealized versions of humanity and shoot them out into space and see what happens but as far as entertainment i just i gravitate more naturally towards something like um deep space nine where there is interpersonal conflict uh to a lesser extent something like star trek voyager where they're you know they're lost in space pun intended and you know trying to find their way home and there's all sorts of ethical dilemmas that they have to deal with in that regard um, those sorts of stories are closer to my heart. Even uh, Star Trek Enterprise, the, the prequel series, had a lot more interpersonal conflict because it was you know, set before the time of Captain Kirk. So I think interpersonal conflict is sort of the, the, the stuff that drama, that good storytelling is made out of. And when you take that out of the equation, you get sort of, you still get good stories, but they feel a little sterile. And so every time I've tried to, you know, get into the next generation, um, I struggle with that a little bit. Uh, whereas uh, some of the movies, well, one of the movies really, uh, First Contact, uh, where there's there's ample conflict and and uh, you know a lot of uh, interior life for Captain Picard as he's like struggling with this whole you know revenge against the Borg thing he's got going on like that. You know that's real people, and that's what I want to see. And but the series always feels a little sterile to me. I guess, Chris. Yeah, um, first season is famously bad, 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 bad. Uh, Code of Honor is a super like racist episode that is like really hard to even watch. Second season, you lose Gates McFadden, um, and um, you know Doctor Pulaski is a polarizing figure as well. But I ask you that because one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek shows up in The Next Generation, and that's uh, Reginald Barkley, who famously spends way too much time on the holodeck and his like work performance suffers because he's playing this like medieval fantasy and like this three musketeers thing. But like he's this genius, but he's he's just too tempted by spending too much time on the holodeck. So that's the only reason I ask that portrayed brilliantly by Dwight Schultz. If you're a fan of the A team, you know, him as howling mad Murdoch. Um, Funny story. I'm actually familiar with uh, Barkley because he pops up in Star Trek Voyager repeatedly. Yes. He's one of the people who works towards bringing them home. Yeah, I'm familiar with the character. Yeah. So also, my one of my biggest takeaways is I've been basking in the glory of Deep Space Nine. I'm, I'm rounding out uh, season five so we can have that episode very, very soon. Um, it is the greatest sci-fi show ever. There is no comparison. Deep Space Nine, I haven't even finished it yet. I don't need to hear anything else about it. Everything about that show is perfect. Um, one of the biggest takeaways, however, is that you and I are basically Bashir and O'Brien. So we would be like having like play dates in the hollow suites. Like oh, you better going believe back, it, man. <laughs> going back to like old Ireland and like going back to like ancient battles and stuff like that. So like that is totally us. It's our dynamic. Uh, I'm like the overly emotional Bashir and you're just like the no nonsense company man of O'Brien. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's just too, too real sometimes how similar we are to the two of them. <laughs> I think that is a, a very flattering comparison. Um, I will also say though, that, uh, I still need to get you to watch Farscape and then we can have a serious discussion well, of which yeah. show is the sci-fi show of all time. Because that that one gives DS9 a run for its money. Sometimes I'm telling you. I just I just hope that you. Um, I, I'm just glad that you didn't have to have the whole messy Kira Norris plot where 
um, your baby is inseminated into someone else and then you have to like rub her feet like that part was cringe fest. Yeah, that was that was always an awkward storyline. <laughs> okay, okay, let's let's let, let let's move on, Chris, shall we? <laughs> so we are coming up on your uh, third uh, technology. So what are you into? Well, this one comes with a caveat and a disclaimer, and that is that the worthiness would be implied. I I'd like to think that I'd be worthy, but I I need Mjolnir. I mean, like I I relate to Thor probably more so than any. Um, superhero outside of maybe Peter Parker or Kurt Wagner. It's just, you know, the combination of my heritage and, um, you know, I miss my long hair. But, um, you know, so so Thor has always been a favorite character of mine. And just the idea of having Mjolnir, I mean, like the old adage of, yes, he's worthy and all that stuff, all that aside. But like, if you've read Jason Aaron's Thor and like, just like, Everything that, and, and maybe it was even a retcon per se, like the, like an actual goddess of the storm being trapped inside that hammer and just like all of the power sets of this hammer, just having at your disposal and, and just having that, you know, one of my favorite panels of all time is um, during Jonathan Hickman's Avengers where like this, this race of aliens is trying to make the Avengers bow to them and be subservient. And so uh, Thor takes a knee, but then throws his hammer around like this entire sun or solar system or something. And it comes back and it, it goes right through the person while he's on bended knee. And it's just one of the most like, Oh my God moments in comics. So yeah, I I need Mjolnir. There's it's, it's not like a really complicated thing. Just, I want Mjolnir. I figured this was going to end up on your list, and, and I, I, I certainly, uh, I certainly understand it. It's you know I don't relate quite as as much to Thor as you do, but I can certainly see that you know watching you swing that hammer around and let it you know drag you through the skies would definitely be uh, that that would be on brand, Chris. I could totally see that happening. So more power to you. I think you should have it. Let's let's get you that hammer, man. More more ease of transportation. I'm, I'm sensing a theme here in my own work. Um, <laughs> Dude, you're going for a deep cut with your last one, and I totally reminded me that I haven't finished this series. Yeah, you know, and I'm not even even talking about the series. I'm actually much more into the into the book so far. Um, so, uh, fan of Altered Carbon here, and uh, really regrettable what happened with the property at Netflix being canceled after two seasons when it's such a a very very cool uh, show, and I think they really nailed the visuals on, on the Netflix show. It it kind of really brought what I've read so far of the books to life. Uh, but the technology that I think should really be real is, of course, the cortical stack. Uh, the cortical stack is uh, something that is implanted uh, sort of in the spine at the base of the skull into each uh, person when they're like a year old. And it basically stores the human consciousness, every memory, every thought, everything that basically makes you you. And so if something happens and you die or your body is damaged you can be re-sleeved so they refer to bodies as sleeves in the story and you can basically have this cortical stack pulled out and put into a, a new body and you can live again i think this is a really cool kind of technology and you know um not to get too complex here and too philosophical but of course there's a lot of uh um caveats to this kind of technology you know like is this really is this really you 
on on this stack or is you know you know does it factor in the existence of a soul i mean there's all sorts of interesting uh religious and moral and ethical uh things to take into consideration if a technology like this really existed but then on the flip side the the notion of continuing on uh beyond uh, sort of natural lifespan using this kind of technology is very very cool being able to sort of you know get loved ones out of storage so to speak and having them resleeved so you can be with them again is naturally incredibly appealing it's sort of the the ultimate um you know uh telling off death so to speak and i think this this whole concept is really cool and there's something to uh, digital storage of consciousness. I think that would be fascinating to see how it would affect the real world, Chris. Yeah, this this immediately gives me echoes of uh, the current situation on Krakoa with the mutants and the resurrection protocols. Like it's a much more complicated process, relying on the power set of five different individuals. But you know, with the the database and having like backup files of each person's powers and experience and their memories in cerebro the 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 mutant you know database and all of that so having that backup system in cerebro that they currently have and being able to resurrect people if they go into battle and of of all the people logan is probably the greatest abuser of this power you know in the x-force and wolverine comics he's probably died 25 times in the last um three or four years since they did the soft reboot of the franchise like if i was part of the five and i saw logan coming up in the queue again i'm like damn it would you get your life together logan please stop but yeah um, <laughs> so so it's very very interesting and like i said i definitely want to go back um i have a lot on my reading list but i didn't even know that there were novels so i'm tapping in man yeah yeah very very cool stuff man all right, well, there you have it. Uh, our science fiction technologies that we wished were real. Uh, what are some technologies from fiction that you wished actually existed in the real world? Find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at NerdByWord or individually at that nerd Chris and at that nerd Dave. We'd love to hear your thoughts of science fiction technologies that you wished really existed. After our final break, we're going to be right back with our nerd commendations. And we're back. And Chris, it's time for our... And I'm actually really, really excited to hear your thoughts on your nerd commendation this week because I have not had the pleasure, regrettably. So what have you got? Oh, and an emphasis on the pleasure because as much as I love the first season of The Witcher... Uh, I think season two was like next level good. I think everybody stepped their game up as far as story writing, as far as the direction, as far as the fight choreography um, and, the, and, and the acting chops is just out of this world. Um, and it's really, really interesting, too, because, um, you know, we talk a lot about source material and like the books are better than this and blah, 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 blah. So I am currently halfway through the third book, the first novel, the first two, um, The Last Wish and um, Sword of Destiny are two collections of short stories. And that you could probably say that the first season of The Witcher is loosely based on uh, the first two books, those short story collections. And then Blood of Elves, the first novel that I'm currently halfway through, 
is a loose interpretation of this second season, but they've also taken a lot of creative liberties and created new characters. And so this is one of those rare occasions, in my opinion, where it all works. It's all just a beautiful creation. I absolutely love it. Um, so some of the big takeaways for me, um, I was a little bit disappointed that they gave um, Yennefer like the Aurora treatment. She's depowered through most of the season. So that was a bit unfortunate after the events of the Battle of Sodden. I was happy to see uh, a lot more Triss. Still not quite enough. Um, still a compelling character, but I was like, uh, I was glad to see a lot more Triss this season. Um, probably the biggest takeaway is Fringilla was the was the big breakaway star of this season. So Fringilla going as from like this tertiary character uh, in season one is is to my favorite character in season two was really, really cool. And just like the the complicated politics of Nilfgaard and that empire. Um, but then like Geralt just being a dad and being like a dad on a path of vengeance in defending Ciri, the, his child of destiny. Um, there's there's some really powerful stuff here. The fight choreography at the end of uh, episode six in particular is just awesome. Uh, really Butcher of Blaviken kind of vibes that we had from season one. Um, and uh, and then the end, there's a really tense moment at the end of episode seven. And then one of the best season finales that I've seen in a long time from a show. There was so much going on um back and forth and sets up beautifully for season three in my opinion so i don't want to spoil a whole lot but definitely if as soon as you get the chance go watch the witcher season two and is definitely a unique creation uh in in respects to the source material but it's all good here and i'm i'm loving loving reading the books as well currently yeah i'm a big big fan of the books and uh and i loved uh, the Witcher season one and how it kind of remixed a lot of those short stories uh, to try to create sort of a, a narrative cohesiveness. And I, I adored it. And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing season two. So uh, your endorsement of it and, and sort of the sense that it seems to up its game has made me now even more excitement. The one caveat I'll say is, you know, similar to the what we got with Andrew Garfield and No Way Home, Henry Cavill is freaking perfect. And it's all the more frustrating that we can't get a good Superman movie behind him. Oh, I totally agree with that. All right, Dave, this has been like the the critics delight of comic books for the last several years. But you finally dived in. I haven't yet, but you did. Yeah, so the pleasure of Marvel Unlimited is now uh, in my hands, and I have been uh, enjoying it a great deal. I am right now on a Daredevil binge. Uh, I have uh, read Mark uh, Wade's run on the book, uh, and I'm getting ready to dive into uh, Charles Soule's run on the book as well. But uh, the natural place to start was the current run, which started in 2019 by writer Chip Zdarsky and a, a, a fairly big variety of artists from what I've seen. Um, and I'm going to be completely honest, th this completely took me by surprise. Uh, probably the most fun I've had reading a comic book in a long time is Sadarsky's run on Daredevil. Uh, it just works on every, every level. Uh, so, um, you have Matt Murdock kind of trying to put his life back together after a brush with death. Um, he tries to be Daredevil again and protect Hell's Kitchen, but something goes horribly wrong. And in, uh, a fight with some, you know, regular old crooks, no supervillains involved. He actually accidentally kills one of the criminals and being the good Catholic that he is goes on this huge guilt trip for like numerous issues. 
uh, ends up in jail at one point. Uh, it's just absolutely fantastic. And it really vibes well for people who are a fan of Netflix's version of Daredevil because Zdarsky actually plays with a lot of those visuals. Uh, at one point, um, uh, Murdoch gives, gives up his suit and then he decides he's going to try helping again. So he's back in that black outfit, you know, with the, the bandana over the eyes. And it's just, it's, it's absolutely fantastic visually. It's absolutely fantastic from a storytelling perspective. It's still ongoing right now. It's actually uh, launching into a big crossover when Devil's uh, event, Devil's Reign, uh, which is just like two issues in as of, as we record this. And it's so far absolutely fantastic as well. But the absolute cream of the crop and the moment that completely put Sadarsky's stamp on Daredevil as like one of the best authors of the character is when he makes Elektra Daredevil. The visual of that, the outfit she chooses and the way she's trying to prove herself to Matt Murdock by doing things his way and playing by his rules is a fantastic chapter in the story i cannot highly recommend this enough i cannot believe that it's been evading me for so long i just keep missing out on absolutely fantastic things like this and now that i'm completely caught up with it all i can say is wow chris this is one heck of a daredevil book Oh, I can't wait. Um, this is this is giving me vibes of like Immortal Hulk, where that's like everything that I've heard of. Like, no, the the hype is real. So, like, I, I just got to stop farting around and get to reading this one. Absolutely, the hype is real. That is exactly right. It's such a good read, and you know, I'm a huge Mark Wade fan. You know this, and and Wade's run was good in a very different way to me. And I might talk about that at a later point. Uh, but as far as like that that dark, gloomy, noir-infused vibe that the Netflix show has. Man, Sadarsky captures that perfectly. For fans of the Netflix show, this is the perfect comic book, man. I'm a huge fan of Zadarsky as well. I think his work on Spider-Man is supremely underrated. I love his spectacular run, particularly issue 310 is a beautiful slice-of-life moment um, comic, and uh, so I'm definitely checking this one out. All righty. Well, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. If you like what you heard, please get on your favorite podcasting platform and drop us a rating, a review, subscribe so you never miss another episode. You can find our show pretty much everywhere podcasts are available. Tune in Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find us on Amazon Music. Uh, and of course, our very own snazzy website, nerdbyword.com. And if you have comments, questions, criticisms, ideas for future episodes, you want to tell us what items from the sci-fi fantasy nerd realm you would love to bring into existence, be sure to hit us up on social media at NerdByWord on Instagram and Twitter or individually at that nerd Dave and that nerd Chris. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.